Welcome to the Harvest House Church Sermon of the Week podcast. Our vision is to empower each person to know God, experience freedom, and discover their purpose to make a difference. Enjoy the message from this past Sunday. All right. All right. Good morning. Man, what a great day. What a great day in the high country. Welcome to everyone here. We're so glad you're here. And to our online, we just welcome you. It is so good to be together. And so we're going to continue our culture series, as you can see. So much to say and so little time to say it, but we're going to jump right in. So before I jump right on in, for those who have never experienced a boon winter, you're going to get a little taste this week, glory to God. So what is it, 60 mile an hour wind, about 20 degrees? Yeah. Slopes will be opening. Come on, y'all. Slopes are going to open. Pray for snow, and don't y'all bind that in Jesus' name, you know? All right. Let's go right into truth and culture. So we've been diving into this culture series, and what is this about? We're, we're talking about real issues, real, real issues that our culture is dealing with, because we really want to have real conversations and hopefully some real answers. And uh, I feel like, you know, when we get into these subjects, today will be another one, I feel like we have to have these conversations in the church. Because if we don't have them in here, where are people going to hear truth as we're talking about today? And so as I was doing this series, I realized that, you know, in our culture right now, I don't know any other place you're going to hear this. As we've talked about gender, if we, as we've talked about sexual preferences, we've just talked about all kinds of things. And, and we really did want to do the Sunday forums, but because of COVID and whatnot, we felt like we, just, we can't do that. So hopefully next, next year, glory to God, we'll be able to do that. I hope so. So uh, Josiah Davis spoke last week and was fantastic as he spoke on philosophies and culture. And one of the things that he referenced was Pontius Pilate as he was really investigating Jesus. And he asked the question to Jesus, what is truth? And really what he should have asked is, who is truth? Because Jesus said in John 14, he said, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. So what do we get from this? What we get from this is, is truth is not a concept. It's not a construct. It's a person. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And he personifies truth. Now, right now, truth is under attack in our culture and our society. I think it's really under attack by an education system that has, in my opinion, become so many ways anti-Christ, anti-Jesus just speaking against the things that, that we hold so dear. And, and by society, it seems to be searching for identity, trying to figure out identity and gender and everything else. And we've, we've talked about that. But it seems just to be creating more and more confusion. And then who's running the narrative right now is this, I believe, a completely corrupt media. I mean, the media right now, I'm talking social media. And by the way, I'm not, this is, I'm not advocating you throw away your social media but I am just saying the information that's coming to you through the social media is not true. And on news networks and cable news networks, it is lies. They're not telling you the truth. So there are people that say, well, Daryl, truth is a construct. Truth is for someone to determine what it is. It's each person determines their own truth. And there's no such thing as absolute truth. As you've heard me say, I love asking this question. Well, do you believe that absolutely? You know, it's kind of like, there is no absolute truth. Do you believe that absolutely? 
So you can see. So this scripture right here, I, I really like this scripture. I've used it a lot in the last few years. Truth has stumbled in the streets. This is the prophet Isaiah as he was writing. Honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes prey. Throughout this series, I just have really appealed to you that if you disagree with some of the things that we're putting forth today, that is okay. But I would hope that we could have a culture, we would have a society, that if we disagree, we can still be in a faith community and walk and journey and discover together. I don't, what has happened to our culture, you know, to where if you disagree, you are, you are, you are canceled or, or you, are, you, you are demonized. It's just this, like, what has happened to us? I think the challenge for me personally and as a church is I want to tell you what I believe is true from God's word, and yet I want to remain relevant and relatable because that's what Jesus was like and who he is now. Somehow or another, he gave the Sermon on the Mount, which incredible truth, and yet people were gathering around to hear him, who they call tax collectors and sinners. I'm like, I want to be like that. I want to have a church like that. I want to have a faith community like that. I want to be like that in this city, you know? And I, I just, something I just want to share with you real quick is my father was passing away. My dad worked with high school students and my house was full of high school students. I mean, throughout when I was growing up, there were high school students everywhere. And he worked with hundreds, probably up to even to a thousand, to be honest. Thousands of them. And when he was dying, he pulled me beside him. And he told me about like the last few days of his life. And he says, let me put my hand on you. And he puts his hand on me and he says, receive a double portion of my spirit to reach the next generation. And I thought to myself, something trans just happened right there. And, and those who've been around here know I love the church. I love fathers and mothers and the faith. And I just have this incredible love for all the students that are in here. I mean, it's like tangible, overwhelming how much I love you. But I want to tell you the truth. In the midst of that, I want to be like Jesus. So, so let's talk about truth. So truth incarnate. Truth, in other words, truth personified in Jesus. If we're going to understand truth, we got to know who he is and what he is. So Jesus is life. Truth incarnate. Jesus, number one, is life. And we'll talk about that. Number two, Jesus is compassion. And number three, Jesus is the word. So let's dive right in. He is life. He is life. Look at this amazing scripture. Here's what Jesus says. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I want to stop right there. We are in the spiritual battle of our lives for this culture right now. I mean, you see it in the political polarization. You see it in the racial tension. You see it in what's going on in the environment. And I could go on and on and on. The thief, who is in, who's doing this? Who's doing all these lies through media? It's, it's the devil. And he's real, and he's meant to destroy what God loves. And what does God love? People. God loves people. And this enemy of darkness wants to destroy it. But hey, we got great news. But Jesus says, here's the words of Jesus, I have come that they might have life and have it to the absolute full. Jesus is the life giver, and he's given to us to be these guardians of creation, guardians of the environment, 
And you've heard me in the last few weeks, and if you've been here for years, you've heard me. I am unapologetically pro-environment, and I believe the church needs to be leading the way to save our environment. I feel this deeply in my heart. I love life. I love creation life. I, I remember... Um, my dad taught me how to hear God's voice through creation. People say, how do you learn God, hear God's voice? By creation, through creation. So I, I love telling this story. I tell it every beach conference and retreat, and we didn't get to go on this year. And this first time in 22 years, we didn't go to the beach with all, all these people in here. But that's okay. Next year, we got it reserved in faith. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. So I've told this story every year for 20 years, and I always say, Lord, you're going to let me tell that story at the beach? He goes, yeah. So I'm going to tell it to y'all. Y'all, some of y'all hear it. But here we go. So... I was raised on part of my life on the coast. I was raised on the coast, and I love surfing. I just love it because when you surf, you're in the ocean, and you see all this life. And sometimes, man, this is kind of crazy. You'll see a big shadow swim underneath you, and you're like, oh, Jesus, paddle away, paddle away. You know, it's like, what was that? But it's so cool. You know, it's just you're out there. You're enjoying it, you know. And so, so this particular time, I'm getting ready to go out and surf, and, and the Lord's right before I go out there, he says to me, Invite me to go with you. I was like, all right, cool. All right, dude, let's go. Let's go ride, you know? And so, so I'm like, okay, Lord, I invite you to come with me. And I paddle out. And it was a great day. There was a hurricane off Bermuda, and the swell was pumping, man. It was awesome. And so the drop was amazing, and I'm throwing some lingo out here. The wall was slick. Face was great. So anyway, it was good stuff. And, and then out of nowhere, all of a sudden, these dolphins show up. And they're swimming in circles around me. And then out of nowhere, they just jump out of the water as high as this auditorium ceiling for those online, you know, about 20 feet, 18 to 20 feet. Two of them simultaneously jumped out of the water. And I'm like, whoa, this is awesome. And so, and then I found a little baby was swimming around too. And so I said, I got to touch that. So I abandoned the board and swam over and don't do that. Okay, don't. <laughs> mama got bad. Okay, mama, dolphin. And she started, like, okay, okay, don't touch the baby. Okay, so I'm like, Lord, this is so awesome. Why did you do this? He said, I sent them for you. That's the God we serve. He's so full of life. He loves life. He loves interacting with us. We just got to listen for those things, you know? He's so full of life. You know, and so life is such a valuable thing. I'll tell you one more story. It must be beach story day. I don't know why all these are coming today. So when I'm 10 years of age, and there was this guy who was 17. He was a great surfer. He was a lifeguard. I looked up to him because he could surf like unreal. And, um, and so one day he was a lifeguard, and it was about 5 o'clock at night, and, and his friend was out in the water and, and was surfing and rode up on a hammerhead shark, ran over the shark, 12-footer. He runs over the shark, and the shark wasn't just attacking him, but when the shark got hit, it just bit this guy right there, took a chunk out of him, and then grabbed his leg. And this guy, this 17-year-old lifeguard, without hesitating, grabs his board, swims out through the waves, and gets to his friend. His friend's yelling. I'll never forget it. I'm just like 10. And his friend's yelling, get out of here, because the shark was circling him in blood-filled water. And the guy says, I will not leave you here. 
He was, they were screaming. He goes, I will not leave you here. And he took his board and took his friend and put it on the board and got his own body in the water and swam in, man. Guarding something so precious called life. And I looked at that and I thought to myself, at 10 years of age, that's what Jesus did for us. But he did something even more. He just fed himself to the shark to die in our place. They came in, the guy was a mess, and I looked at that 17-year-old and said, that's what I want to be. I want to be a guardian of life. I want to go into the deepest, darkest, roughest oceans and face whatever it is so that other people can live. I want to be like that. Life. The second thing I I see about Jesus, who is he? He is full of compassion. Number one, he's full of life. Here comes number two. He is full of compassion. So when we want to find out what God is like, we need to go back to the first time he actually described himself. And it comes from this scripture right here in Ezekiel 34, 6. He gives five characteristics of what God is like. This is the most quoted, most studied, most referenced passage in the Old Testament. It's from Exodus 34, 6. Yahweh, Yahweh, which is his name. God's name. A God compassionate. Look at that word, compassionate. What is Jesus like? He's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing, and loyal love. The kind that would give up his life for a friend and faithfulness. Now, here's what's amazing about this word. What you need to do with the word compassionate right there is if you'll go study uh, Hebrew root words, you'll get so much more meaning out of them. It's really a fun thing to do, and I kind of geek out on it. So, the Hebrew word for compassion is rakum. Rakum is what you say. And it has a noun, rakamim. Rakamim. But the root word for both of these amazingly means this. It's absolutely extraordinary. It comes from the root word rakem, which means womb. So when God wants to describe his compassion, it's like this gut, inner gut feeling that just goes out. And what we can do from this, the word invites us to imagine a mother's love for the inner feelings of an infant in her womb and how, he takes, how she takes care of this child and gives it everything that it possibly needs. You know, rakum, it's, it's, it's this compassion that you feel it so much that it produces empathy. God's compassion can't just feel it. It has to do something with the compassion. It needs action. This is what he's saying. It's this intense, overwhelming emotion. And we see it throughout the scripture in the book of Isaiah that the people of God had turned away and forgotten God over and over and over and over, kind of like us, over and over. They've turned their back on God. And Yahweh here, he compares himself to a mother full of rakum. In Isaiah 49, listen to it, Isaiah 49, 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have compassion, there's the word, rakum, on the child she is born? Though she forget, I will never forget. You know, Kim and I, we, my wife and I, we had three kids and she nursed them. And um, I'd watch her nurse our children. And it's the most intimate thing. She's just eight inches away, eyeball to eyeball, looking at this child, helpless, nursing this beautiful baby. And I always would look at the look on Kim's face of tenderness and kindness and goodness 
as she nursed, even at two or three in the morning. Isn't that amazing, you know? I thought about the scripture. I will never forget you, Daryl. I will have compassion on you like that. It's just amazing. Now, talk that I was unapologetically pro-environment, and I am. Y'all who've been around here know I'm a little nuts about it, right? Because I, we've got to take care of our earth because it's the only earth we got, and it's falling apart. Our environment is completely falling apart. The plastics in the ocean and all that's going on with it. It's just, I could go on and on about it. I have. If you've been around, you know I've done a whole series on this. But I've also mentioned to you in the last few weeks that I am unapologetically pro-life. Why? Well, number one, I see it in scripture. But number two, I've had these, I was born with a physical ailment where I've been very, very sick. I've told you before, but those maybe don't know. I've had pneumonia 32 times, documented. And a couple of those times, I can remember what it was like at night trying to get my next breath into my lungs as a young child, all night long going, can I breathe? And whenever you fought for life, and maybe you have, maybe in a car accident or had a health issue or some kind of thing where you fought for life, you just understand how That's what I love about this illustration. It takes pro-environment and pro-life and puts them together. I hope you enjoy it. This comes from researchers at National Geographic. They've succeeded in taking photographs of animals in the womb like the last month before they're born. And they do this with 4D ultrasound scans. The images are breathtaking. Y'all want to check it out? Here we go. beautiful life. There that little dolphin is in his mama's womb. Waiting to come out and swim with me. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Here's a question. Does anybody in this room think it is okay to damage that? Or online? How about this one? It's going to look like a little stuffed animal, stuffed toy, but here it comes. Look at that. Life. Jesus is about life. As you look at these images, I want you to know something. The scripture says all things were created by him and created for him, and he holds all things together. Who? Jesus. Do you know what that means? He's holding you together. And if he stops holding together, you together, you're going to be a bunch of atomic glue melt. He holds the earth in the correct proximity from the sun so we don't really fry and get an amazing suntan, if you know what I'm saying. Now, I really don't like cats at all. As a kid, I tortured them, but uh, (laughs) I did. I'm sorry for all your cat lovers, but I'm going to make it up to you right now. Okay, there's a cat. It's amazing. Life. See, everybody's confessing right now that y'all been torturing them cats too, haven't you? But does anybody, does anybody online, as you're watching online, or in this auditorium, think it's okay to hurt that? 
How about this? Let me say without, like I've been doing campus ministry for 30 some years, y'all, 32 years, three years. And every abortion that I've been involved with, there are two victims of an abortion. There's the child, but there's also the mother. Most of the time she's abandoned. Her family says, just take care of it. The guy usually is out of there. The school, you know, she can't get any help. Culture, society, everyone's telling her, terminate it. And if you're here today and you've had an abortion, there's so much grace for you. There's so much love for you. I'm telling you right through these walls in that office, I can't even tell you how many young women have come to me wanting help, putting their broken lives together, and we've walked with them together. And Jesus can put you back together. He's the only one I think that can. And if you're out there and you just disagree and maybe you say to me, well, listen, it's a woman's right. Who are you? Who are you as a man to tell me what to do with my body? And all I can say about that is, you're right. Who am I? But I would say this. If we're going to talk about rights as the moral argument, can we just pause and ask about the rights of the young baby inside you? As a church, we've supported Hope Pregnancy Center. We're not just a church that just says, hey, we... We believe this. We've given. We just gave a huge donation to them. And we have this amazing ministry upstairs called Harvest Heart Ministries. It's run by my daughter-in-law who is here, Carolyn. And so what do we do? We get, we get all these donations from people, baby, clo- baby cribs, baby stuff, baby clothes, baby shoes. And the community can come and get whatever they want for free. Why? Because we love life. We love life. What devalues life and what we call the image of God? Because here's the thing. The image of God is so critical. Like, why are you against certain things? Because I'm so for the image of God. What devalues the, in, the image of God? Sex trafficking. That's why we've supported as a church For years, we supported this friend of mine who was a pastor in this nation. I can't mention because it's a secret thing that he's involved in. But he's saved over 400 children from hardcore sex trafficking. We sent missionary down to Nicaragua. She started this incredible ministry. It's just about seven or eight uh, girls and kids. And next thing you know, there was 300 who had been sex trafficked. Jesus cares deeply for these things. It must end. Racism and slavery. You know how I've talked about racism. You know how I've told you that as a white man, I cannot even imagine what it's like to be raised in, in, a, in a culture that is racist. And I know some of you disagree with that. That's fine. But I just want to say something. Over the 60 million babies that have been terminated, aborted in our nation, 22.5% of them are black African-American kids. 
Yet only 12% of the population is African-American women. That's, a, that's about 36% of all abortions are black. And let me just say, these babies matter. If we're really concerned about racism, that matters. I'm getting a little emotional, y'all. Just Preaching alert, preaching alert, everybody, preaching alert. Because I love life, because Jesus loves life. Let's put it all together with this story. I got to go super quick. Um, there we go. Let's put it all together by looking at a story of Jesus and Luke 7 11. I'm going to go quickly through this story. It's a story of Jesus that puts together life and compassion in a way that's tangible. Luke 7, 11, soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain. A little bit about Nain. It's in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing there. And his disciples and a, look at that, large crowd went with him. Why was a large crowd with Jesus? Because he had just healed the centurion's servant. And this humongous crowd's going to this nothing of a place. Why would Jesus go to this place? Jesus wasn't going there for, for you know, like, why he was going, what was he doing? He wasn't going there for a what. He was going there for a Who? He was going there for an individual. Let's see what happens next. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow. She hadn't been, this wasn't her first funeral, it was her second. This was such a tragedy, but it was also an economic catastrophe for this lady. She would be destitute. She would not have any inheritance. She wouldn't have any money. She would more than likely be living on the street from this point on. And a large crowd was with her. I believe this represents who we are as lovers of Jesus. A large crowd in here meeting at the town gate with large crowd out there. And Jesus right in the middle. A little bit about the funeral procession. According to Jewish tradition, what would happen is the family would lead the procession. And who would have been in the front? The mother would have been in front. Now in the South, if you go by a funeral, you're to pull over on the side of the road and just let them pass. But in Jesus' time, if you, if you run into a funeral, you're supposed to join the procession. So there's a lot of people there. And what did Jesus see? What did he see? Here it comes in Luke 7, 13, when the Lord saw her, when he looked at her, his heart went out. That's the word compassion, spalaja in the Greek. His gut felt emotion went out to the woman. And he goes up and says, don't cry. Now, what he's going to do next is absolutely just amazing. What does he do next? Let's go to it. Then he went up and touched the coffin. This would have made him unclean, ceremonially unclean. This was major taboo. But the word touch there in the Greek gives us a little bit more understanding. We think of English touch like this, but the Greek word haptame means embrace. Jesus full of compassion, embraces this coffin. What did he do? Something in him, I think, was saying, this was never supposed to happen to them. And I am life. I personify life. All I am is life. 
And then what does he do? Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Can you imagine what that would have been like? That's who we love, who we serve. Did that woman pray? Did she have faith? Did she uh, act right, do all her Bible studies, do all her confession, do all that? No. And when Jesus looks at you, he wants to bring life to every area that's broken and dead in your life. He's beautiful. I love you so much, God. I love you, Jesus. Let's go to our last one right, right now. The next one is, he is full. He is the word. He is the word. So number one, number one we understand he's, li- he's life. He's compassion. Now he's the word. I'm going to read John 1 and listen carefully to the poetry as we close. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word. Talking about Jesus. They liken him to the word of God. The word was God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Listen carefully. Through Jesus, everything was made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was like a light to all humankind. The light shines in the darkness. Yes, you do, Jesus. Right now, in this dark culture, you shine, and you shine through your people. Last scripture, John 17, the words of Jesus. As he prayed for you and I right before he left this earth and was risen from the dead, he says this, my prayer is not that you take them out of this world, talking about us, but that you protect them from the evil one, the deceiver, who's lying to you. He's lying to you. He's lying. He's lying. Then he goes on to say, they are not of this world. And you know, we really are not. Any more than I'm of the world, Jesus says. But then he says this, sanctify. What does that mean? Set them apart by truth. How are we going to be set apart from the world? How are we going to be different? It's by truth. Your word is truth. There it is. Your word, the Bible, is the truth. You sent me into the world, and I'm sending them into the world. I began by telling you you would not hear these things, these teachings anywhere else, will you? You're not going to hear this anywhere. The church must speak these things. The culture series. We could be culturally and politically correct and just get along and just fit in. But I don't find that people who just go along with culture and society end up making a difference for good at all. I don't believe God's called us to be normal. I don't believe God's called us to be mediocre. Even the word normal makes me nauseous. <sighs> Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy, and I'm looking back at you like I am. For Jesus, I am, I promise. I'm just insane for the Lord, man. See, when you've had life experiences and that you've had, I've had it, and he helps you. Like when no I got to land this plane. Help me do it, Lord. Talking about this sermon. I got to land. 
But like, when nobody else can help you, no doctor can help you, no breathing tube can help you, no medicine can help you, no person can help you, that's when Jesus became so real to me. Tangibly real to me. He said to me, Daryl, I never promised you wouldn't go through hard things. There I am gasping for breath. I'm like, Lord, please help me get air. He goes, but I'll be with you. I won't leave you. And any of this, I'm not going to leave you. I'll be here. You're beautiful, Lord. Will you stand with me? Stand with me. You're beautiful. You are beautiful. You're worth our life. Father, I want to pray for anyone here today and who just disagrees vehemently with me. It's, I just want to say, help them come talk. To, let's have a conversation. We all want to have conversation. Let's, let's have them. And Lord, I just want to thank you that you're, you're so compassionate, Jesus. You care so deeply for everyone in this world. And you're so loving and you're so good as we sang about. I pray today that anyone who needs to just open their heart up and receive the goodness and love and compassion of God will receive it today. Father, I ask you just to reach deep inside our hearts and let us have an encounter with you right now. Jesus, I love you and I'll bless everyone in this room that they will know the living God. I just love you. God, we just love you. We just, can we, church, can we just pause and online just, we love you. Thank you so much for life. Thank you that I've got breath. Thank you that we've got breath. In Jesus' name, Jesus' name, amen. Can we give him a big praise, everybody? Amen. Come on, let's give him a big praise. Amen. Man, Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To find out more about our ministry, visit hhcboon.org or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Harvest House Church Boon.